Hi, I'm Jennifer Carraher, and this is Unfinished Truths. From misattributed parentage and assisted reproductive technologies to made or chosen families, these are stories of and by people who gain truth through knowledge and want to share that truth with you. As David Foster Wallace said, the truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. Hi, everybody, and thanks for coming back to the show. This is episode six, and I wanted to start off by saying that I understand that there is background noise when I'm asking the questions, and I am super sorry for that. Um, I am new to podcasting, so I figured out um, how to solve that problem next time. Um, I understand why when you call a radio show, (laughs) people are asked to turn the sound down on their radio. So um, my mistake, I hope that you can you know, push through with a Jennifer reverb, as it were, um, because it is a very, very worthwhile interview with an intelligent and insightful young woman. That having been said, let me just explain a little bit about what the show will be about today and um, who my guest is. So today I'll be talking about another realm of the MPE experience and new perspectives on kinship. My guest, Kara, is a donor-conceived person in our community that's known as a DCP. And what it means is that the person was conceived via a donation or more often purchase of sperm, egg, or both. Um, And that would be an embryo. For donor conceived persons, the bio parent who provided the gametes are not legally recognized as parents. And often their identity is unknown because of either an anonymous donation or because it is undisclosed, meaning the method of their conception is unknown to them, um, which of course implies that the donor identity is unknown to the child conceived thereby. Kara is a 21-year-old egg donor-conceived person. She was 10 years old when her raising parents told her that she was donor-conceived, and she struggled with her biological mother's anonymity in her teenage years as her conception was never mentioned again. In August of 2019, at almost 19 years old, Kara took an ancestry DNA test and matched with her biological mother, with whom she now has a close relationship. She is on Instagram sharing her perspectives, as well as advocating for donor-conceived people and educating recipient parents. You can follow her at Kara, K-A-R-A, underscore donor-conceived. Hi, Kara. Thanks for being with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me on. So, first of all, I just wanted listeners are probably not totally familiar with the donor conceit, donor conception, you know, as an idea, either the you mm-hmm. know either the term or the experience. So, I'm just wondering if you can give a brief description of you know donor conception generally. Yeah. So, donor conception is when it's usually an infertile couple. They can get either donor sperm, donor eggs, or both, or a donor embryo to have a child. And this often causes a lot of issues for the children born due to not knowing our genetic family. And so there's a lot of us right now trying to tell our stories and advocate for change. Yeah, absolutely. So um, do you want to just begin by saying like what your donor conception is? Is it um, egg, sperm, or is it uh, embryo? I am egg donor conceived. Okay. And can you want to tell a little bit about your experience, just maybe beginning with your, you know, growing up, how you found out, and then we'll go from there? Yeah. So my parents told my twin sister and I, when we were 10, that we were conceived using an egg donor. And that was the only time they ever mentioned it. But I think that was the advice of the time, which was to tell your kids. And then for the parents, that's that's kind of it for them but that's where it starts for us and I I don't remember how I felt I mean I don't know how my 10 year old brain processed that you know but Mm -hmm. growing up I do remember feeling like something was off or like something wasn't right that I didn't belong so it it made sense really makes sense in retrospect I'm curious, like when your parents, you said they mentioned it at age 10. Um, so I used to do research at that same time in which you were conceived and the 
and I would interview people who had used doter gametes. And often they said that they had like an origin story that they used, that they began telling the children at a young age. But it sounds like your parents didn't go along that, didn't you really go that route? No, I'm, I'm guessing that they were told either to never tell or mm -hmm. to tell it like 10-ish, maybe mm -hmm. when kids would understand more than when they were like toddlers. Do you know if they had shared the, the, your conception story with anyone else in your family or friends? I actually don't. Mm -hmm. I've wondered about that, though. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. And so you said that after they told you at age 10, they, did they never mention it again? Nope. <laughs> do you and your sister have, like, a comp, like, do you talk about it often? How did that go from, I mean, starting at age 10, were you, obviously, that's shocking information. Yeah, um, I, I don't remember how I felt at all. It didn't affect me again until I was 14. But my sister and I never really talked about it either. I'm guessing the message we got was that it wasn't supposed to really be talked about. Mm -hmm. And what were the circumstances under which they told you? I don't, I don't remember. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so, I know. I know, I think... isn't that it's like Maybe we block it out. <laughs> no, no, really. I think it is blocked out. But I'm, I don't know if something like prompted them to tell us or if they'd been thinking when they're this age, we're going to tell them. Mm -hmm. Did What happened when you were 14 and you started thinking about it again? There, it's kind of funny. There were like three separate things that triggered it. The first was my biology class and we were talking about genetics and I just... It just hit me that I didn't know half of mine. And then I had this doctor's appointment that my dad took me to and they asked about family history mm -hmm. and he, you know, didn't know half of it. And then we had this like assignment for my health class where we had to interview our moms about when they were pregnant with us. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, oh my God, I have this other mother out there and I've I'm not supposed to know anything about her and I have no way to learn anything about her. And that was terrible. Yeah, that's really hard. I think a lot about that of the assignments that they have kids do in school and how, because there's such a focus on a traditional family, how complicated that is for so many kids. Yeah, definitely. It's really hard. So at that time, did you start to pursue or did you ask questions? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Like, that's the thing about early disclosure. You can't really do much about it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I couldn't have, like, bought a DNA test when I was 14. Right. And you don't have much. I mean, your parents obviously have such authority when you're a kid. It's so hard to break that. Yeah, and even then, they only have so much information on her because she was anonymous. Oh, she was? Yeah. Okay. okay. And, do they, and they, have they ever talked to you since that time, since you've done more research on her? No, they they actually don't know that I know her. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's been a bit more than two and a half years. Wow. Why don't yeah. you tell me about how you, um, I think you said you used uh, one of the, you know, uh, DNA companies. And you want to tell me about how you how you met and how you went about that? Yeah, um, I started with 23andMe in January of 2019, which was a dead end. And so in August, I got Ancestry and I matched directly with her. So I reached out to her and then I like spiraled into like, oh my God, what if she never sees it? What if she never reads it? What if she doesn't want anything to do with me, you know? Mm -hmm. But she got back to me and it was, she was really nice. And so we started emailing and we emailed for like a year and then we moved to, yeah, like Instagram texting. And so now we text and call and it's, it's honestly been really good. I'm definitely one of the lucky ones on this front. And you feel like you're pretty close to her? For sure. So she is on 23andMe. Was the, purpose, was the purpose of that for her to find her, her donor children? Um, well, no, I matched her on Ancestry. Oh, on Ancestry. I think, I don't know why she did it. Maybe just for fun. I don't think she was trying to match with her uh, genetic children. But 
after I messaged her, she did buy 23 and me to confirm. So now she's on both. And was she, did you feel like she was shocked when you, when she did reply to you finally? Yeah, I, I bet she was shocked. <laughs> she was like, she was like, I'm overwhelmed and don't know where to start. But I mean, that's oh. totally understandable. Yeah. Is your sister also in contact with her? No, but she knows that I'm in contact with her. Uh Do you know how she feels about that? I mean, obviously you can't probably speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to her for her. We've talked about it a little bit. I think I think she's not interested maybe just because it's it's a lot. Yeah. And it's maybe it's easier to just leave it tucked away where it is instead of starting a whole new relationship. Yeah. Can understand that. Do you have any other uh, siblings? Well, my my bio mom donated eggs twice, so I might have half siblings. I don't know, but she also has three kids that she's raising who are my half siblings. Well, any contact there? Yeah, I'm in contact with my half sister. She's almost thirteen. But they all know about me. It's just they they don't have phones because they're too young. Right. And had they known that, well, I guess they're pretty young to have known that their mom was a donor prior. Yeah, she told them all like relatively recently within the last few months. Mm-hmm. You know, I've thought a lot about the use of donor gametes like over the years. And I've always thought about like the people that use the reproductive technologies like your parents and those that are produced by it, like you and your sister. And I'm just like, the users often like frame it in the way that they talk about like infertility or how they're making a family. And then the people that are produced by it often talk about like lost kinship. Do you yeah. feel that way at all? And if so, can you talk about that a little bit? Definitely. I always, I've always thought it's ironic where if it's like a straight couple using donor gametes, it's because they want their child to be biologically related to them. Mm-hmm. But then they're cutting the child off from half of their family. Yeah. And I've, yeah, I've always felt that lost kinship. Even now that I'm like in reunion with my bio mom and my grandfather, it just, it still feels lost to me. Mm-hmm. I think that you're not alone in that with the donor conceived people I've talked mm-hmm. to. It seems very like a very common thread. Yeah, it is. You wrote about, um, on Instagram, you wrote about the magnitude of all that was lost from donor conception. Mm-hmm. You know, and I am a have a misattributed parent, so I can totally relate to that. But can you talk about this so that others understand the, like, as you say, like, tangible, like, psych- psychological, emotional, or even, like, the physical experience of that? Yeah. It, it sort of depends on the person, so I can only speak for myself on this. Mm-hmm. But the biggest loss for me is just the relationship with, in my case, my biological mother, just all the lost time, not knowing anything about her, not getting to be her daughter or just getting to have any sort of relationship. And I now know that on that side of my family, I have 20 cousins wow. and, you know, they're all growing up together and I'm just over here and it's like learning about who my family actually is makes the loss much more tangible because I know things that I'm actively missing on right now and that I missed out on growing up. So that's definitely hard. I think a thing that you might be able to explain to people because I think it's very hard for people to understand this concept of the relationship to the donor as a mother Mm-hmm. or a relationship to the people that are related to her as your own kin or family. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I even still have trouble sometimes referring to them as my family because typically people think of family as like the people you're raised by or the people you grow up with. But I think for a lot of donor-conceived people, it extends to our genetic family and chosen family I don't know if this is making any sense, but I, I do see her as my mother because she is. And I know a lot of people would be quick to tell me, no, 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 she's just a donor. But like even even when we first met, we just clicked. 
Mm-hmm. And it it goes to show that like genetic relation matters and that we are family. I totally agree with you. I would think about like stereotypical narratives of like uh, the donor, comp- the donor conceived experience, you know, versus like mm-hmm. the experience of adoptees because adoption is like a, lo- a lot of times is framed like as people are orphaned or given away. And I'm, and I'm not, I don't want to say just like frame that way, not to minimize it at all, like actually feel that way, you know, yeah, yeah. or like this is like kind of dissolution of the family or kinship. Whereas when people think about donor conceived people, they think about like this creation of kinship. Like we, <laughs> we wanted you so much. We went through this to have you. Um, do you have any feelings about that? Yeah, that we get told that a lot where it's like, but you're so wanted or you're so loved. But even if your parents, I mean, they obviously did want a child, it doesn't, it just doesn't, like, it doesn't help our genetic severance from our genetic family, from the donor's side. Like, you can be so wanted and so loved and know it, but still feel the loss of your genetic family where your parents are just celebrating that they now have a kid and a family. So it's it's a little different perspectives from those sides of the constellation mm-hmm. your uh do you call do you call her your bio mom usually my bio mom sometimes just my like mom or my mother do you guys talk about this at all the terminology no just like the experience oh. of like you know her donating and then the two of you having a relationship now we've talked about it in the past but we don't talk about it often Mm-hmm. And do you know, like, I mean, I know it's super hard to speak for her, but the fact that she's developed a relationship with you, I mean, would indicate to me that there's some sort of loss for her as well. I mean, clearly she's interested in having a relationship with you. Yeah, and I can't speak for her on that, but she accepted me with open arms, like, immediately. You know, she accepts that I'm her daughter because I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I presume since you've been in contact so long, you've seen photos and everything. Oh, I have, I have a lot of photos. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me about? So this is something that when I met my bio dad, um, I was like so shocked. You know, when I saw him, it was like yeah. all these traits that you see in yourself, and you know, like ways of being, like you know, mannerisms and everything. But I'm just interested in that this concept of like biological traits. You know, like anything from like how your eyes look to how you laugh to the whole, like, you know, gestalt of a person. Thank you. What's your experience of this and seeing pictures of your mom or cousins or other extended family? Yeah. I, I don't think I look like her when I first matched with her and I looked her up, I was like really hoping to see like her face plus my dad's face equals my face. Mm -hmm. But then I, I like, I don't think we look alike at all. So I remember being disappointed, Mm -hmm. but I have had people tell me I look like her. I just, I don't see it at all. Maybe it's because I didn't grow up with her. Mm -hmm. But my sister looks a lot like, um, like her mother and like one of our aunts and some cousins. So I had like a genetic mirroring moment where I Mm -hmm. was like, oh my God, she looks like them. So that, that was cool. That is cool. Have you met in person or no? No. So you may still have that experience. I just have to say when you meet in person, because mannerisms are like a very strange, Mm -hmm. (laughs) very strange, like biological uh, trait that can be unexpected, you know? Yeah, I've heard other donor conceived people talk about that, where they just have the same something so specific, like the way they move their hands when they talk. Yep, totally. So what is your what are your hopes for the future with in a relationship with her or I mean and also it's kind of a two part question in relationship to your parents that I don't even know how to how, <laughs> I don't even know how to differ donor <laughs> people I don't even know how to differentiate like uh-huh. family yeah, of origin is that I don't what you know say? either <laughs> I don't know either <laughs> I'm going to say family of origin Okay. Versus your uh, your bio family here, or your bio mom. Um, do you have any 
Like, what is your hope to, with your relationship with your bio mom and her family? And then alternatively, do you have any plans or any, um, you know, dreams or expectations about how you could talk to your, your family of origin about it? Yeah, I definitely want to meet my bio mom. And we've talked about it before. It's just with COVID and like she lives across mm -hmm. the country and she has three kids. So it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. But later this year, I will be moving to a different state across the country where I'll be way closer to them. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I'm hoping to hopefully go meet them. In terms of my parents, I don't, I still don't know if it's something I would like to ever talk about with them, partly because it has been a secret for so long, but partly because I don't know if they just like because of generation gap, I don't know if they would understand it, mm -hmm. which isn't to say I don't think they would be supportive, but I, I think right. it's just more emotionally healthy for me to keep my relationship with my bio mom as my own thing. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. And what, can I even ask this question, but what was your relationship with your with your parents like growing up? I mean, I guess I'm specifically interested in with your mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never had a close relationship with her. It's not a bad relationship by any means. It's just, it's never been that like close mother-daughter relationship. And that's something that I've looked for with other women my whole life. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure there are other factors besides her and I not being related, but that's definitely a factor because my dad my sister and I have always like just had this sort of connection that she's been outside of mm -hmm. and do you think that part of that was her enacting that you know feeling of the disconnectedness I'm not sure I mean I imagine that you know, she grieved the loss of her own genetic children. I don't, I mean, I can't speak for her, but I'm definitely yeah. going to take a wild guess and say that that has something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious about, I know the experience, or I've, not obviously everyone's, but from people that I talked to in the past about the experience of the, the mom that uses a donor egg or donor embryo and and carrying the baby and how, um, you know, carrying the baby and nursing the baby and um, how that relates to their connectedness. I wonder what that's like for you or what that's like for the, you know, the donor children. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't remember like those younger years. I don't mm -hmm. even know if we like breastfed, but it's so interesting with egg donor conceived people because the, raising mother is typically also the gestational mother mm -hmm. and so they have all that like pregnancy connection mm -hmm. but for me that just makes the loss of my bio mom even bigger yeah can you talk a little bit about that for people that what maybe wouldn't understand that yeah like for me personally i just wish that i got to have those experiences with like my biological mother mm -hmm. because the the mother-child connection in you know the history of the world and every species is so it's not to use the word special but like so special and important for our development and I just I feel like I incorrectly developed as a result of not knowing her yeah, I'm sorry for that what would you say to people who have used donor gametes of any kind and have decided not to disclose to their children? I would highly encourage you to disclose as soon as possible. I know that for a lot of parents, it can be scary to tell because they don't know how, or it might bring up some shame or uh, trauma from their infertility. But ultimately, it's better for your relationship with your donor-conceived children to have that openness and honesty going forward and just to avoid trauma on their end in the future when they find out because odds are they're going to find out.
Mm-hmm. And what do you, how would you describe the trauma for, for those parents, the trauma that exists for the donor conceived child? I, again, I can only speak for myself because it, everyone's experience is so unique, but for me, the trauma comes from the late discovery. I know I was only 10, but that I believe three years old is considered late discovery, actually. Mm-hmm. I've seen that around just because it shakes up our whole identity. It, you know, makes us feel like our life is a lie, that now we don't know half of who we are. And that's that's a lot for a person to go through at any age. And then there's potentially additional trauma of not being able to find any of your bio family or finding them and then being rejected. And it it just could so easily be alleviated if parents were honest and supportive from the start. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about like when I was talking to my mom at some point, you know, about finding my bio dad and she was like, well, you yeah, know, you're really lucky that you found like, um, that you can find out your health information. <laughs> and I was thinking like, you know, that's kind of the least of our interests, I would think, but uh-huh. um, I feel like people say that a lot, but I feel like it's like some kind of divergence away from facing like the psychological and emotional impact of totally. keeping a secret like that. Totally. I was reading about, I read an article in like in preparation of talking to you and it was like, uh, this is like a, a Harvard study. It was pretty small, but there were like 143 people that were interviewed that were all donor conceived. Um, and 94% were conceived anonymously. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost all of those people said that they reported a, a shift in their sense of self mm-hmm. when, they, when they learned about the nature of their conception. And half of those people thought psychological, you know, help or counseling afterward. Wow. How do you feel about all of that? I mean, I think it speaks for itself that anonymity is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Not telling is bad. I can't believe this stuff has to be explained, but (laughs) like... (laughs) But don't you have that experience that I have? So I'm an NPE. So I found out that my bio dad was somebody different, but I was raised by, you know, um, Uh a birth certificate dad. Right. And it turned out was somebody totally different. I'm much older. I'm like contemporary to your parents, probably. Um, (laughs) I'm sure of it. I have a son that's older than you. But um, I was thinking about the things that people say. And I'm actually, this is like so important to me. I talk about it all the time that are like so insensitive. But it does have to be explained. Do you know what I mean? So not to interrupt your answer, but I think people don't understand. No, I I totally agree. It has to be explained. Which is shocking and disappointing, but. (laughs) But I mean, if it helps, I'll explain it as many times as I need to. Why don't you explain? Oh, let me ask one question about like monetization of gametes. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and how you feel about that? Yeah, I think donor conception adoption too, um, very commodifying for the children. You know, people are donating their eggs or sperm or whatever, but really they're selling them and really recipient parents are buying them. And it just, it makes me feel like I was purchased and Mm -hmm. then like raised and it's just, it's icky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even the way people talk about it, like you were ours, sort of. It's, and then the way, the way it's marketed to people. I don't know if you've heard, there's like ads on TikTok where it's like, be an egg donor and then buy a like $10,000 handbag. Really? Like, oh yeah, it's, and it's, it's everywhere. It's really disturbing or some clinics will do giveaways for like a free round of IVF or like a free vial of sperm. That's insane. It's yeah, it's gross. I remember when I was, uh, you know, doing the research a big, or when I was in college, actually, um, there is, it was a very big sperm bank in Berkeley and donor eggs were just, you know, it was a new technology at the time. And obviously women were getting, quite a bit of money 
-hmm. you know, obviously also based on traits, which is very complicated uh, for so many reasons, uh, eugenics being one, <laughs> one of the major causes. <laughs> but um, I remember people, it would, the, the way that they were marketing at the time was to pay for college. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's partially why my bio mom did it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting in terms of like, you know, the feminist ideas as well. The women yeah. <laughs> to donate their <laughs> eggs to favor college. It's amazing. Um, what's the impact that you think that this has on your future? Or what will you do? I think it's your generation of, of, of people are so active and, you know, advocacy is such an important part of your generation is this something that you're active in is this something like use your career or your own personal you know feelings about family how is it impacted by your experience um i mean i'm trying to do advocacy and education for parents on instagram it's not related to my career path that i'm going into but i can try to integrate it i'm like studying tv in college right now so i could mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know exactly, but somehow stick some awareness into the entertainment industry. For sure. Yeah. And it, um, in terms of other people that have been donor conceived prior to, you know, being active on social media and everything, did you ever know any other donor conceived people growing up after that point when you were 10 and you found out or 14 and you became, you know, very aware of it? No, I didn't know anybody else until two months ago when I joined Instagram. Really? Uh-huh. What's, um, what's your take on your relationships with those people? Like, is it, do you have common, you know, common perceptions of, of, of uh, gamete donation? Yeah, it's, it's been one of the best parts of my experience is connecting with other donor-conceived people a lot of us have the same views about, you know, what's unethical, what needs to be changed, all that stuff. And I've, I've made friends with a few who we really get each other. And it's, it's just so validating to have other people who feel the same way. Mm -hmm. Because it was so isolated for me growing up. Mm -hmm. And do you think that finding out, you know, in some ways, was a comfort to you once you found out just because your childhood was, you know, you weren't so close to your mom and, and it was difficult? I don't remember. But looking back, it is sort of validating just because, again, it makes sense that that might be why we didn't have a close relationship. And it, I don't know, it just definitely helped to know earlier compared to most people who find out these days. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you how you got in touch with your bio mom? Um, on Ancestry. Mm -hmm. Oh, just through Ancestry you sent her a message? Well, yeah, I messaged her. She messaged me back. And for other people who are looking for their bio parents, how would you know, would you have any recommendations of how to go about it? Like what to say, for example? Oh, gosh. I would definitely say DNA tests. I mean, that's, I think, how most people figure out their biological parents it's hard because you could say anything and just you don't know how the person's going to react some people say something simple like it looks like we share a lot of dna like are you interested in exploring how we're related mm -hmm. i on the other hand was very emotional and sent some like longish message where mm -hmm. i was like <laughs> i'm like my biological mother i've wanted to know you for the longest time um it sort of depends i would just say as cliche as it sounds be yourself and if you don't get accepted it's nothing on you mm -hmm. yeah very true and there's always other avenues like other other relatives you know that might be more open to it definitely you know, this podcast is supposed to be about uh, kinship is what I'm trying, you know, that was what I originally studied way back when. And I'm just, I just didn't at the time put in a lot of emphasis on biological relatedness. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I now see that the primary drive of kinship is biological relatedness, you know, not meant to be like exclusionary or essentialist or anything, but that um, I understand that it's somebody that's a non DNA discovery, how it appears like it could be that way. But mm-hmm. I feel like we ask ourselves over and over again, what is kinship to me? And I just wonder if you could say like, what is that to you under your circumstances? I mean, for me, I do place extra specialness on biological relatedness because that's something that I lacked and that I always wanted. And I'm lucky to have great relationships with people I'm biologically related to on both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. But I do think for people like us who have somehow had some misattributed parentage, that chosen family can be really, really healing. And I've, I definitely have chosen family where, you know, they're like better kin to me than anybody I'm related to could be. Mm-hmm. What is your, how is it, how has the relationship changed with your dad since all of this has come to light? Do you mean knowing I was donor conceived or finding my biobomb? Uh, both actually. Both. Um, I don't like I don't remember how I felt after they told us we were donor conceived, but I don't I don't think anything changed between him and I. I probably feel a little more distrust now knowing that like that was kept from me. But as I've gotten older, I can see like why they made the decisions they made. Mm-hmm. And since I think since knowing my bio mom, I actually treasure oh that sounds so cheesy but like (laughs) treasure treasure our genetic relation more just because just he's somebody I knew that I was genetically related to and that for people like us is a privilege yeah very true you talked earlier about I just wanted to see if you could talk a little more about it because again I think it's something that people won't understand but this idea um this like binary of the fact that your family of origin um, used donor gametes to, to get, you know, to conceive and had half of the genetic link with the genetic link was so important to them, right. That they, yeah. That they used that technology and used, you know, your, um, your bio dad's gametes with your, um, with the donor. And like what, you know, like sort of what that symbolizes for you, like emotionally and psychologically, you know, I keep saying that, but like, just like internal, how you internalize that idea that, that it was important to them, but somehow it's erased from your experience. That's something I think about a lot. I don't know how people make, I mean, I know how people make the decision to use donor gametes when they want biological relation to the kids, but like, I don't know how they make that decision knowing that they're having a kid with a stranger mm-hmm. and that their kid will not know that stranger. That's something mm-hmm. I still can't really wrap my head around. But I guess from a parent perspective, they're maybe just thinking we're getting to be parents and they might not realize that the kid will care or they might, you know, if they don't know their donor conceived, then they won't. Like, then they wouldn't think about it. I don't know. What do you think about donor conception in general? Like, do you think it should be something that, I mean, this is such a hard question to ask, actually, or for to answer, especially because you're conceived by donor, right? <laughs> so, like, but for, like, the future, what, like, in terms of regulations or, you know, should it exist at all, actually? I mean, it's, I guess that's a fair question. Yeah, the way it's currently practiced, especially in the United States, I do not support it. It is just way too unregulated, way too unethical, commodifying. I'm, my personal opinion is that I don't know if it could ever be fully ethical, which is sort of subjective, what ethical is in donor conception. Mm -hmm. But I think you know, things like anonymity need to be abolished. They need to, you know, create like a system where everybody knows they have siblings growing up. 
um, parents and donors need to be properly counseled so they know the implications of what they're doing. There, there's so much that needs to be changed. I could go on, but my personal opinion is I think only known donors would make it ethical. And regulation of, of disclosure somehow. I mean, that would be impossible though, right? Exactly. There's like, they could make a law that says you have to tell your kids, but there's no way to like make sure everybody's doing that. Right. And doing so in like a way that's not going to be totally traumatizing. Yeah. What do you think about this idea that, as I said, that, that way back when, I mean, it's literally been like 20 years since I did this research, but people would talk about, people that were going to disclose would talk about these origin stories that they would start telling their kids, uh, you know, like a bedtime, like bedtime stories kind of thing. Like we wanted, yeah. to, there was this nice lady or gentleman or whatever, <laughs> um, and we wanted you so much and they helped us to have you. Like, how do you feel about that really? I, I definitely support telling kids early and in ways like, you know, bedtime stories where they, they'll know that, oh, it's hard to explain, they, that like, they don't need to understand eggs and sperm and how a baby is made, but just so they know that there is somebody else involved in their conception who's also their parent. Mm -hmm. But I think the narrative of a nice man donated his sperm because we mm -hmm. wanted to have a family can be dangerous because if they find the donor one day, he might not be nice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when parents tell their kids how wanted they were, it makes us feel sort of indebted to them or that we have to like live up to a certain standard, which is not fair to the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not at all. Wonder, do you what do you feel like for you is like the like broad sort of moral experience of being donor conceived? That's a good question. Um, I think donor conceived people were people too. Um, a lot of people, you know, say like it's just a donor, but to us, for a lot of us, it's more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think the big moral takeaway is we deserve human rights just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, just to not diminish the importance of knowing at the very least your biological parent. Yes. Both of them. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm going to go back to the thing I was talking about earlier about like things people say that are inappropriate. You know, uh -huh. when you tell your, like when I don't, does it come up for you? Like for me, it just comes up like the, because for one thing, it's on your mind, like all the time, like in every social interaction, it's like constantly on your mind, like, you know, yeah. like probably for you, it's like, am I related to this person? Like, could I be related to this person? Uh-huh. Yeah. But, I get that sometimes. So for me, it comes up in conversation and I have this tendency to have this, I have this story, right? This like light story to make everybody feel better about it. Like, how does that work for you? Does it come up when you talk to people? Not really, but I think if it did, because if somebody doesn't know what donor conception is or they don't know how to react, there's this like, oh no, now I have to explain it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just so awkward because it's like, I would rather just not say anything than have to explain it. And then like tell the person like, no, it's okay. Or something like that. Do you feel like you're sensitive to it? I mean, I get really sensitive about this one particular, well, there's a couple of comments like one. And I think it would be even harder if I were donor conceived, but a lot of times people will say like, Oh, you know, your dad doesn't matter because he's just a sperm donor. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you hear that. Oh, yeah. Just, it's like, then I mean, what are we, like, half human, half donor? I know. Like, no. <laughs> Do you feel like when people make comments, like, what's the other one that people say a lot? You know, the, you know, the idea that it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your yeah, dad's like dad, your mom's still your mom. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. How do you react? I mean, I'm like my, like immediately my like dander goes up and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> and I really want to yeah. say something, but 
you know, how do you feel about those like offhanded comments? Yeah, I see, I see stuff like that on Instagram a lot. Sometimes it's from recipient parents. Sometimes it's from people who I have no idea how they're involved with donor conception. It's kind of funny to me. Just, I don't know, when someone's like, your mom's still your mom, I'm like, no, <laughs> like, no, she's not. Mm -hmm. Just, it depends because they're trying to speak to an experience that they don't know anything about. Right. And it, I mean, I try to take it as an opportunity to like educate them. I just, I just, I try to keep in mind that they don't get it because they're not also donor conceived. Right. So what would you say to somebody that's thinking about using a donor uh, gamete or embryo? Uh, I would say try to use a known donor, whether it's a sibling or a cousin or a friend or something like that. Mm -hmm. That I personally think is the only ethical way to do it. But if that's not an option for you, open ID, it's pretty much the same as anonymous, but it's still the better option. Tell your kids early, talk about it often, find their half siblings, just do everything you can to be honest with them and support them if they want to search for biofamily. What is, tell me about OpenID again. You said it's anonymous, but not? It's, well, anonymous is like, you don't know anything about them, you know, nothing. nothing. You're not ever supposed to know anything about them you might get like the little info sheet that has like their hair color and stuff. Mm -hmm. Open ID is usually it's age 18. I think in some countries it might be 16, but you can request that information from the clinic that you were conceived at. You might be able to get contact information or have like some sort of meeting with the donor, but this isn't always guaranteed. The clinics can just go back on it. And so it's, some of us call it anonymous until 18. Mm -hmm. It's it's just like the littlest step up from anonymous where you don't have any information and you're not really supposed to have it. It's not it's not that much better than anonymous. Mm -hmm. And is that the more typical? The more typical choice? Is that the more typical, like the way that it proceeds now? Are there, are there still many uh, anonymous donations? Uh, some European countries have banned anonymous donation, uh -huh. but in the U.S., I I don't know if there's like like there's no statistics because they don't even like keep track of how many donor cancer people there are. Mm -hmm. But I think I think some people do still choose anonymous a lot wow. for various reasons. Yeah. Do you think if um, someone were to use a known, you know, a family member or a or a friend, um, what do you, how do you think that the, the, you know, the family of origin, I still don't know how to talk about it. Um, how should they, you know, I'm guessing they, I mean, they should use that child that's produced should be allowed a relationship with that biological uh -huh. yeah. parent. And how do you think that you could explain that to those parents? Just, I mean, that's part of the importance of using a known donor where it's, first of all, it's somebody that the parents know. They're not conceiving a child with a stranger. And it makes it easier for the, you know, whoever the donor is to be a part of the child's life. But it doesn't replace them as the raising parents. Mm -hmm. And then I guess I would ask, like, if you were to say anything to, like, donor-conceived people that are like in the middle of, you know, finding out, um, either finding out that they were donor conceived or, you know, like seeking or finding their bio parent, you know, what kind of advice would you give them about, you know, sort of like what to do over the next year or like how you feel like about your feelings over the next year? Cause I know with me and the, my NP experience, like the first year was like so heinous that <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> I was like a, just a wreck all the time. Oh, um, yeah, I get that. And so I tell people, you know, like give yourself that time. I just wonder what it's like, what it was like for you. 
for well, when I found out when I was 10, I have absolutely no memory of how I felt. Right. But when it started affecting me when I was 14, that was terrible. I just, every day was in the agony of the anonymity, um, to put it lightly. Such a hard age, too. It's, yeah, it was, it's like you're coming of age and, like, your identity forming and you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. But I think for anybody going through a discovery, no matter how long ago you found out, whatever you're feeling is valid. If your feelings change, that's okay. If they don't, that's okay, too. It's such a unique and difficult experience to learn that your donor conceived and then whatever happens thereafter that like as cheesy as it sounds you're not alone there's a lot of us dealing with the same thing that we can rely on each other for support that's been one of the most helpful parts for me which I didn't have growing up but I do now yeah I did see the huge like donor conceived people networks that are out there it's huge there's no idea there's a lot out there now I don't I mean there obviously didn't used to be yeah no I don't I don't remember there being like like I said when it first began I don't remember there being any I don't even remember it being talked about really yeah I mean it I mean they couldn't predict like DNA testing would be a thing they didn't think anybody would find out what do you think about people who say, like, I hear a lot, like, uh, either people say, don't take a DNA test because you could find out something that you don't want to know, or alternatively, like, people saying that there should be regulation on the DNA testing. People have said that? Yeah. Like, it comes up. I, I, <laughs> I feel like it's more in response to, like, situations like mine, which is that you find, uh, you know, information that you never, like, had an inkling about, really. I mean, obviously, psychologically, you have some inkling about it growing up, but in order to avoid those kinds of things, I don't know. Clearly, you feel differently. (laughs) Wait, can you ask that again? Just how you would feel like about there being any regulation on DNA testing. I don't, I mean, from like a greater MPE community standpoint, I don't think there should be. Mm-hmm. Because for a lot of us, that's the only way we have to learn about our biological family. Mm-hmm. To so be fair. So go I ahead. Guess, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I guess that's my answer. Like, yeah, there are to some. Fair, I think it's more about people worrying about genetic information just being out in the oh. ether. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm on like five sites. I think I know. about that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, some what someone you upload your DNA, they ask if they can use it for like solving crimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sure. Like, <laughs> am I going to regret this later? <laughs> if not if you're not going to commit a crime, probably. Yeah, like. <laughs> and if you have a criminal in your family, well. Yeah, and know. like some of them, they give you the option to discard your sample after they put it through the system or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who knows what they do with it? Yeah, that's true. We don't actually know. Yeah. I know I work in medicine now, and often if you volunteer for a, uh, you know, any kind of study, like there are a lot of COVID studies out there, and oh. they would want to draw people's blood, an extra vial of blood, um, if this person were COVID positive in order that's to, you know, weird. study COVID. And I know that that's put, those are put into biobanks, um, which obviously is very complicated. And I'm not sure if the DNA companies do that. I'm guessing all of it's about commerce, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure if they have some way they can profit off of it, they'll keep our DNA. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if people want to follow you or get in touch with you, how could they do that? Uh, they can find me at Kara underscore donor conceived on Instagram. Okay. I'm writing Every- it down. Everywhere else I am on social media is my personal private account. So mm-hmm. you guys can't find me there. <laughs> <laughs> if Do you have any like really special um, or really um, like any support groups or anything that have been really, really helped you or reading or anything like that? Yes. Um, DonorConceivedCommunity.com. They do support groups. I'm in... I'm in one peer support group right now. It's been so awesome. 
Mm -hmm. So if you're donor conceived, I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, I've I've tried to do some reading uh, about donor conception. I'm I have one of those people where I just have like a pile of books to read and it just keeps mm -hmm. growing. Mm -hmm. But I've read Inheritance by Danny Shapiro twice. She found out uh, her biological father was, or her father was who raised her was not her biological father in adulthood. And even though my experience was different from hers, it was still really validating. So that's a book to check out if you haven't. There's there's actually a lot of new like literature coming out about it, which is exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And I was second the Inheritance by Danny Shapiro. I think every NPE has read that book every, <laughs> multiple times. Listen to the book on tape, whatever. It's not even called book. Whatever. The other day, <laughs> my bio mom actually sent me a podcast interview that Danny Shapiro did. Oh wow! She was like, "This made me think of you," and I was like, "I've read her book twice." <laughs> Here's a copy for you. <laughs> I know, like I should send it to her. Or maybe you could send it to your mom. Your my parents. Oh god! Yeah. I send hey, it. Here's five. I the audio to my mom right away. Oh really? When you found out you were mm -hmm. an NPE? Mm -hmm. I think they're just, you know, essential. The reason I sent her the audiobook is because listening to Danny Shapiro talk about it, it's like, you know, it's very emotive. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. maybe she would pick up some of the, you know, of the emotions that come with it. Yeah. Yeah. And the trauma. She didn't. But <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so never well, mind. Don't do that. <laughs> I've seen some people have sent books to their parents, though, as a way of trying to communicate about donor conception in a way that the parents might understand. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking for you, that might work because, you know, she's old, you know, Danny Shapiro is like more my generation as well. So yeah, my parents just, are closer yeah. in age to her. Yeah. So is there anything else that you would tell either? Um, well, any of the three groups, people who are donor conceived or actually any NPE, or people who are going or thinking of using donor gametes or people that already have? Uh, for anybody thinking of using donor gametes or anybody who already has, biggest piece of advice I would say is listen to donor conceived people. We, uh, we have a lot to say and a lot that you can learn from us. We are here to help. That's why I started Instagram. That's why a lot of other donor conceived people have joined social media. And what I would say to anybody with any sort of NPE, um, it's it's hard, but there are a lot of us. And thankfully, because of social media, we can rely on each other for support. And if that's something you're interested in, that has been one of the most healing parts of my journey. That sounds so gross, but <laughs> but I but I I mean that's how like a lot of us identify with like the people we're around is connection with the people we are around. So it can help to be in connection with other NPs. Absolutely. Can I just ask one question about that? How did you find your mm -hmm. peer support group? Uh just through Instagram, I found their Instagram is DCC support, I believe. Okay. And is that, so is it like an online situation? Is it Zoom or? Yeah, it's a Zoom peer support groups. They also do book groups. Oh, nice. So it's, it's a really like, I feel like it's a form of therapy, like not group therapy, but like therapy with like people in the same situation as you. Totally. Talk therapy, right? I mean. I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I'm not a therapist, but I know. <laughs> it's, but it's really validating to talk to people who have the same emotions about all of this stuff. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Right. Well, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and like making time for me on a Sunday and just being so open and like so frank about everything. I know it's not easy to talk about. Of course, and I really appreciate you having me on and starting this podcast I've seen a lot of like NPE podcasts pop up lately it's a really really good thing
I agree. I mean, anybody out there, if you go and listen to all the podcasts, I swear it's like the most helpful, even if it's not related to you. I think I listened to one recently on adopt. I've been listening to an adoption podcast. I think it's um, it's called by a, I can't remember what it's called by the root or something. I'll look it up so I can put it in the notes, but even as a, an NP like you or me, listening to the adoption, the experience that like, gives me so much insight, really. Me too. I've in just like the two months that I've been active in this whole community on Instagram, I've learned a lot from adoptees. Mm -hmm. Totally. And number one, I think that both Karen and I would agree would be honesty. Honesty is the best policy. It's true. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you so much. And I hope I you get to meet your bio mom this year. I, oh, me too. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed for you. She's um, awesome. I believe it. She made an awesome person. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for agreeing to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Of course, anytime. Okay, take care. This has been Unfinished Truths, stories of new kinships and the truths they reveal. If you would like to share your story with me, please email unfinishedtruths at gmail.com or visit the WordPress website linked on your podcast platform. Everyone has a story to tell. Thank you for listening. <laughs>